Today is the final sermon of this sermon series. It's entitled, The Tortoise and the Hare, Slow Growth is Real Growth. Slow Growth is Real Growth. You know, in this sermon series, I've said, what you don't know can hurt you. That's been the theme of the sermon series. And that's why I said, hey, you need to begin by knowing the four words of the wealth builder. We began two weeks ago with that concept, and and hopefully you'll learn those. And then last week, we talked about the one big mistake of the rich man, the one big mistake of the wealthy woman. We talked about it last week. That's greed, and the antidote to greed is generosity. These are things that if you don't know them, they still hurt you. It's the same concept about any law in the world. You say, but nobody ever taught me about gravity. doesn't mean the fact that you can jump off a building and not be hurt because you are still liable for the law even if you've never been told the law. So we've been teaching these biblical laws as it relates to finance. Today is the final concept we want to share with you and that is the financial principle that slow growth is real growth. Ecclesiastes chapter number seven and verse eight the wisdom of Solomon speaks and he says, the end of a thing is better than the beginning. You say, Pastor, I agree. I think about that with your sermons. The end of a thing is better. I know, I know. The end of a thing. The end of a life. The end of a career. The end of a thing can be better than the beginning. How? If you focus on patience rather than pride. The patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Is this not the story of the tortoise and the hare? The end of it is so good. (laughs) Because one is patient while the other is proud. Let us pray. Father. Today, as we study this concept from your ancient scriptures, inspired by your Holy Spirit, my prayer is that you would help help us to attain it, retain it, and live it. Help us to see it, God. You know I love my friends, and, and I feel honored that you would have taught me these things as I grow and as I became more mature. Now this is a chance for so many to hear these principles and to remember them for some for the very first time. I pray especially for my young friends, those in their teens and 20s, their early 30s, Father, that that they would grab a hold of these truths and live by them for their own well-being and also so they can advance the kingdom of Christ. These things I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Patience, then. Patience will get you further than pride. That's the proposition for the entire sermon today. Patience will get you further than pride. How can I practice financial patience, Pastor? Here it is, number one. There's three ways I'm going to share with you. Number one, first way to practice financial patience. Number one, avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Say it with me. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Say it with me. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Say it again, say it again. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. This is a biblical principle. Solomon talks about it 3,000 years ago. Solomon said to his people, a man with an evil eye 
hastens. Oh, a man with an evil eye. Do you remember last week I told, told you about the man with a bountiful eye? The man with a bountiful eye has, has, a, has an eye for generosity. When he sees people, he thinks, what can I give to them? The opposite is also true. The man with an evil eye, when he sees people, he thinks, what can I get from them? So here we see from the book of Proverbs, the man with the evil eye or the man with a bountiful eye. The man with the evil eye, the Bible says, hastens after riches. That means he's running from place to place, opportunity to opportunity, get rich quick scheme to get rich quick scheme, new job, new job, new job. He hastens to be rich and does not consider that poverty is going to come upon him. He doesn't realize, she doesn't get it, that this is actually counterproductive to what they actually want. Get rich quick schemes, avoid them through patience, avoid them through putting down your pride. How do, our, how do we do this? Well, there are five get-rich-quick schemes we're going to highlight here in our modern society. This is called biblical application from a Bible preacher. Here's number one, get-rich-quick scheme to avoid. Number one, gambling, 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 gambling. Now, you say, Pastor, are you going to preach against gambling in Las Vegas? <laughs> I'm testing to see how long you'll actually have me be your pastor. This is a test. Now, now hear me, hear me now. Gambling. You have to understand, just be empathetic for a moment about what it's like to be a pastor in Las Vegas. I'm the one who week after week after month after month, year after year, has to counsel families who lose their rent money and lose their homes and lose their mortgage payments and can't buy groceries because somebody in the family can't stop going to the casino. So you understand for me why this is such a serious issue. I'm watching children go hungry. I'm watching wealth dissipate. And the reason it is is because we cannot control our gambling habits. I used to say when I was a teenager, we, I would travel. This is, Las Vegas has changed so much. I, used to, I was a teenager and I would leave, or in my 20s I would leave. I went to college in Florida and people say, oh, you're from Las Vegas? I knew what was coming next, you know. You're from Las Vegas, do you gamble much? And we used to all say, I used to say, everybody used to say, you would say, no, I'm a Las Vegan, we're not that dumb. That's the way Las Vegans used to answer that. Do you know why? Because we did not get scammed, we were the scammers. We invited others to come to our casinos and we took their money. But what's happened over the last few decades is outsiders, many of you, have moved from outside the state into the state, fantastic, but you haven't realized what Las Vegans know. You don't gamble, that's for them to give us their money. I, look, I'm not, gonna, I'm not gonna validate scams, we're gonna talk about that in a moment, but listen to me, listen. How do I say it? Don't be dumb. Amen. Amen. Come on, what are we doing? Station Casino doesn't let you cash your paycheck there because they're nice. And if you got, you're an executive from Station Casino, I know the game. If you're here today, you're saying, I know exactly what you're doing. You're trying to get our people to cash their paycheck at Station so that they spend their money completely at Station. It's a scam. You say, they ought to be shut down. No, you ought to be smart. Don't do it. What are you doing? What are you doing? What are you doing? Stop it. Stop it. Does the Bible universally condemn gambling? No, no. The Bible never calls gambling a sin. 
the Bible calls hastening after riches very, very unwise. You understand? There's a difference. There's somebody who's worked their entire life in Minnesota, retires here in Las Vegas, wants to spend $50 a month going down and, and pulling a machine handle. You, you do you, bro. I'm talking to young adults and families who view gambling as a way to get wealthy. That's insane. That's crazy talk. That's crazy talk. Stop it. All right. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Gambling. Here's number two. Investment scams. Investment scams. All over the place. Just give me a little bit of money. Give me a little bit of money. In a month, you'll have double. You'll have double. It's the easiest buy. Everybody should do it. Do you know why everybody's not doing it? Because it doesn't work. Happens all the time in church. If you're new to church, you watch out. I'm telling you, as the, as the shepherd of the flock, watch out. Wolves come to flocks. Maybe you're a wolf in here today. I'm going to point you out. Okay, all right, here we are. Ready? <laughs> By the way, if that made you nervous, you probably are a wolf, not a sheep. <laughs> 15 years of pastoring, this is what we see. We'll see people coming in. I remember a guy, this is probably, I won't name his name, but years and years ago now. And, uh, and he used to walk around with a piece of paper in his pocket and a pen, and he would, hold it, he would pull it out. Not when I was around because I'm the shepherd, I kill wolves. And he would pull it out, and, and, he would, and he would say to people, I didn't find out for months. He was a member of the church. He actually went through our membership class and everything, became a member of the church. And he would be like, hey, you know what? All you gotta do is give me $500 now, you give me $500 now, we could turn around and in a few weeks, it'll be 2,500 bucks. And the people, oh. listen, my dear friends, Wolves come into the flock. They find places like this and they feast upon you. you say, how do I know if it's a wolf? See, you're, if you're a sheep in the flock and there's another sheep biting at your leg, like nibbling, like it's not a sheep. <laughs> They're not here to spend time with the good shepherd. They're here because you look tasty to them. And the larger the church gets, the more attractive the wolves are to the flock. You understand? So what happens? It, it was, we had, by the way, that guy's in prison today. Hallelujah! <laughs> Hallelujah, he's in prison today. He finally got caught. A couple years later, another guy started coming. Him and his family, beautiful family, wonderful kids, amazing guy. He was totally 100% a, a, a deep down an anti-God con artist. He's a con artist. He got so connected to our church, he literally became a small group leader. Yeah. It's the only time that's ever happened. And you say, how could you admit? I'm just telling you exactly what happened. I, I'm an open book. This is, and, and I come to find out, this guy's always talking about this deal and that deal. And he's trying to get all these church members to invest in his businesses. He's having people, well, they're going to move to Florida, open a new business. All this stuff is going on. Some of you know exactly what I'm talking about. Because you were there six, seven years ago when this happened. By the way, by the way, you're sitting here and you're like, man, that was kind of my plan. I'm calling you out. Like, I will go at you. <laughs> all right, now, like literally, he's scamming everybody. People are giving him money. All this stuff. Come to find out, we did a background check. We did some background checks on him. Our deacons did some background checks. He's wanted by the FBI in three states. So we pull him into the office. We tell him and his family, get off our property. You're never allowed back. You can't do that. But I did. <laughs> I did. This is private property. We don't let wolves in here. So he's gone. I, by the way, I can't tell you how many church members got angry with me. Yeah, I angry. Pastor, how dare you? How dare you? That's fine. It's fine. Get angry with me. We're going to protect the flock. By the way, the guy's in prison to this day, right now, because we called the FBI and told him exactly where he was. 
and said, this guy's going to prison. This is where he is. This is how to find him. Went down to Florida and got caught. Now, avoid these scams. I'm the one who had to last week. Some woman in their 70s came to me. In her 70s, sweet elderly lady. She came to me. She's crying. What's the matter? She said, I'm in trouble. I said, come here. We'll talk. We went to the back room, and she told me about this email scam that she got involved. Thousands of dollars. Here's a woman on fixed income. Thousands of dollars, and she's being taken advantage of. Here's a poor dear widow. That's wicked. And one of our ladies, Vicky, went and helped her and helped her figure out how to delete that account. You say, Pastor, you don't have to talk about these things. Everybody knows. No, but if they did, they wouldn't be scammed. So hear me. If somebody's going to email you and ask for your personal information, it's a scam. Don't give your information to people, your bank accounts, and, and you're going to have this money. By the way, the reason we fall into these scams, let's be honest, because we're greedy. So avoid greed and don't get involved with the scams. You say, how do I know the difference? This is what happens to me. Fred was sitting here in the first service. Where's Fred today? Where is he? He's, he's out, you know, killing wolves. That's what he's doing right now. <laughs> Fred, one of my partners in, in the church, right? Pa- Pastor Fred, um, I, I, hand to God, there's not an, a year that goes by that I don't send him something and say, hey, Fred. He's like, yeah, Josh, what's up? I'm like, is this a scam? Because uh, I don't know sometimes. And he's like, yes, please just don't give anybody your social. Okay, thank you, you know? And like, I get it. I, sometimes I'll, I, I would, but how do I avoid that? I, I have Fred in my life. Who do you have in your life? The answer is the church. Go to your small group and say, hey, does this look like a scam? Say, but that's embarrassing. I should know better. No, none of us know better. I've learned this years ago. You don't have to be the super smartest person around as long as you surround yourself with smart people. And trust them, Amen. So this is what we're talking about, okay? So number three here, number three. How do we avoid get-rich-quick schemes? Number three, pyramid schemes. Now, if you're today and so, somebody's like, oh, no, what is he going to talk about? If you're super nervous, maybe there's a reason you're nervous. Right? I didn't describe what a pyramid scheme was yet, did I? But if you're like, oh, if, you're, if your business is not a pyramid scheme, you've got nothing to worry about. What is a pyramid scheme? A business model that charges high entry fees and encourages new recruits to focus their energy on enrolling others into the business rather than actually selling products. Be careful. All it's going to cost you is this much, and all you need to do is sign up your entire family and all of your friends, and the more people you sign up, the more money you get. Say, what do we sell? Uh, Oh, yeah, that's right, we sell something. It's a pyramid scheme. Be very careful of these things. Understand? Number three, or number four, dishonest business practices. This is where legitimate businesses try to make a quick buck by taking advantage of their customers. The most obvious and well-known is what's called watering down the soup, right? You go to the same soup place year after year, it's amazing, and all of a sudden something changes. What happened? There's a new owner. They realize they all they have to do is add a little bit more water, 33% volume, and now we're a little bit better. It's not as good as it used to be. No, it's not as good as it used to be because they're a dishonest business, so leave them. Stop going to giving them business. It's dishonest to gouge your customers. Gouging your customers is when suddenly you find out, man, there's a big need. You didn't say, oh, that's supply and demand. No, that's gouging. Right? This whole toilet paper thing, like toilet paper, you know. <laughs> Got to buy a bunch of toilet paper, sell it for $40 a roll. That's called gouging, and it's against the law in the United States, which is a good thing. But but businesses still, no, I shouldn't say that. Dishonest businesses try to go up against that rule constantly. 
Stop gouging the customer. This is the way business is supposed to work. Business is supposed to work that you win and I win. That's how business works. I get and you get, and it's a good equal exchange. I'm doing well because you're doing well. We're all doing well here. It's not I win and you lose. That's not business. That's scams. It's dishonest business practices. Here's another dishonest business practice. P not paying your people. Pay your employees. What are you doing? Why is management in a situation where they're taking advantage of their people? If they're going to give you an honest day's work, give them an honest day's wage. Why are we in a society where the government has to come in like a big parent to tell us that we have to give a good wage? It's because we're not honest enough to give a good wage. So you have employees, pay your employees. Quit being dishonest, cycling through as many people as possible so that you can have more in your back pocket and they get nothing. It's dishonest, it's not biblical. The Bible says wealth gained by dishonesty will be diminished. You do that long enough, you water down that soup long enough, you will have no money. That's what it's saying, people won't trust you. Modern terminology calls it the, 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 uh, the reward of the free market. You'll be shut down. But he who gathers by labor will increase. Notice that, he who works hard in a fair system will get ahead. This is what it's saying, and we need to be careful of get-rich-quick schemes. If you're a business owner, don't fall into that trap. You say, how do I know if I'm falling in that trap? Come talk to me. Come talk to Fred. Come talk to Gary Amick. Talk to others, and we'll say, this is what you need to do. We'll help you figure it out, right? Can I get an amen? Yeah. All right. Number five here. Here's another get-rich-quick scheme, prosperity theology. This is the worst one because it just tacks the name of Jesus onto a get-rich-quick scheme. How does prosperity theology work, Pastor? Prosperity theology is where a guy like me takes a book that looks like this and says to you, all you have to do is send me $1,000. If you send me $1,000, God is going to bless you. He likes you. He's just been waiting to give you money, but he can't give you the money that you need until you give me all the money you have. It's a scam. It's a scam. Do you understand? Here's why it's so bad, because it takes an actual doctrine from the Bible and it perverts it, which is how we get bad theology, true things in the Bible that people take to a far extent. Remember last week I talked about the generosity cycle? That's a true doctrine in the Bible. God is generous with you so that you can be generous with others, and the more generous you are with others, God is more generous with you so that you can be generous with others. That's the cycle. We talked about it last Sunday. What a prosperity theology teacher does is they do whatever they can to explain the, the motivation is this. I give so that God will give more to me so that I can spend it on me. It's a perversion of a right doctrine, and it destroys the truth of the true doctrine, and it takes advantage of the poor constantly, constantly, and it bastardizes the name of Jesus Christ. That's what it does. Avoid get-rich-quick schemes, my friends. You understand? You say, well, then what do I do if I want to get wealthy? I told you in the first sermon, the four words of the wealth builder, and then also the huge mistake in the second sermon of the wealthy person, greed, the antidote to greed is generosity, these are the principles you need. But all summed up, here's what you need to do to avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Here it is. 
be boring. Just be boring. Financially be boring. Understand? You don't have to compete with everybody's car or everybody's house. Just be boring. Invest every single dime you can in a 401k. Boring, 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 boring. Every dime. You understand what I'm saying, young men? You understand? You get a job, invest every single thing you possibly can. 401k. Get a good job or start a good business and get around good business people who know what real business is. All right? Buy a boring home you can afford, right? And whenever somebody inevitably says to you, I've got this new product, it's called such and such mortgage, and you don't have to pay anything for 40 years. It, and you're like, I don't get it. Be boring. Say, I just want a boring. What's the most boring mortgage you have? Well, it's 30 years, and you make, they make the same payment for 30 years. I'll take that one. Be boring. Learn about boring things like Roth IRAs. Doesn't that just sound boring? You just hear the word Roth IRA and you're like, oh. <laughs> Be boring. You understand? Okay. How do you practice financial prosperity? Number one, avoid get-rich-quick schemes. Number two, practice delayed gratification. Say it with me. Practice delayed gratification. You hear what I'm saying? Delayed gratification is a muscle. And the more you use it, the stronger you get. You know what I'm talking about. We, we're friends. We've talked about these things. You say no today for something pretty good so you can have something awesome later. Look what the Bible says about this. This is not my idea. Look what the Bible says in Proverbs chapter 25, verse 28. Whoever has no rule over his own spirit is like a city broken down and without walls. This would have been a dangerous thing during the time of Solomon. Imagine some ancient uh, city, right, with a big wall around it. But somebody attacked that city and the walls are broken down. Now that city is a place where any enemy, any time an army match marches by, they can go in and raid and plunder and pillage the entire city anytime anybody wants. That's the way some of our spirits, that's the way some of our people are. They have no control over their own spirit, so anytime anybody wants to come at them, they just lose control. Some people do it with anger. Some people have no control over their spirit of anger, so somebody just has to poke you a little bit and you're bah! and you blow up. You see? You're like a city that's broken down without walls. There's no defense. Some of you are this way with lust. Some of us are this way with lust. You see just the slightest lustful thing and your mind goes to the gutter. You have to build walls there. And some of us are that way when it comes to finances or buying stuff. You just think of one thing, you open Amazon and you buy it. Some of us just need to delete Amazon right now. Right. <laughs> delete it off your phone. You know there's a reason why there are candy bars at the checkout? <laughs> you get it, right? Yes. It's a scam. You did not go in there to get a candy bar. It's called an impulse buy. Now look, if you have, if you have $1.99 for a Snickers, then buy it if you really want it. But do you really want it? You want to buy gum, you buy the gum. By the way, have you noticed that gum is like $3.99? When did this happen? Gum used to be 25 cents for Big Red. Five, 25, 25 cents. I'm so old. I am, because I can remember when I was your age watching a guy like me, and he's like, Hershey bars used to be a nickel, you know, and they're all upset. And I'm like, gum used to be a quarter. Anyway, what am I talking about? 
You have to have control over your impulse buying. That's what the Bible here is saying. You don't need it. Hey, maybe, maybe the $24,000 Civic is good enough. You don't need the Lexus. Maybe. Maybe when the guy looks across the table like he's your friend. We're going to talk about friends. When he's your friend. He's your friend. He is your friend. Don't mistake friend with friendly. He's very friendly. Because if you buy the, the bigger package with the car, here's what's going to happen. He gets more of a commission. That's fine. That's his job. He should do that. But you need to be smart enough to say, no, I just need the, see? Because 10,000 extra dollars is more, more slavery for you. The marshmallow test helps us understand uh, delayed gratification. Let's watch this. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one, so then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. You know that feeling? You know that feeling? <laughs> How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you to give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them. <laughs> Woo, and that feels so good, doesn't it? Man, it feels so good to wait and then get twice as much as you would have if you went early and now you get, a, you get to eat it, you get to consume it. That's wisdom there. That's wisdom as opposed to Esau. Esau was such a fool. Esau was out hunting all day, and he was so hungry and tired, and, and he came home, and his brother, Jacob, was in the uh, kitchen making some stew. Can you picture Jacob in there with his apron on, making a nice little stew? Mmm, smells good. And there comes Esau in the front door. Hey. Hey, what are you making? Oh, I'm making a little stew. Oh, it doesn't sound nice. It's like nice lentil stew. Hey, give me some of that. No, it's my stew. I made the stew for me. I know you're hungry, but I'm going to eat the stew. It's mine. Can I have a little bit? No, you can have, that. You can have none. How about we trade? What do you have? Nothing. I know what we could do. How about you give me your birthright, your entire inheritance? Like, you know, when mom and dad die, instead of you getting everything, as the firstborn, I get everything. And you can have my stew. Yeah, it's, it's probably never going to happen. <laughs> they seem pretty healthy. <laughs> and I'm really hungry. And this is literally what Esau said. Esau said, what good is a birthright if I'm going to die of hunger? Oh, the drama. <laughs> but I want it so bad. I want it right now. I need it. Give me the soup. He ate a bowl of soup and he 
he gave up on his entire inheritance. What a fool. There will always be a Jacob ready to take advantage of you. Always, always, always. They say a sucker is born every minute. Esau was a sucker. Why? Because he could not practice delayed gratification. This is the way to practice delayed gratification. Here it is, three simple words. Patience, persistence, and perseverance. Patience, patience, the discipline to wait for something better. Wait for something better. Wait for something better. Listen to me, listen to me, you young adults, you teenagers. The reason you don't need to give yourself to every man that comes along sexually or every woman that comes along sexually is because you can wait for something better. I'm telling you, marriage is a far greater gift when you have waited for something better. Why in the world would you wait? Delayed gratification is a good thing. Patience, patience, persistence. Persistence is the discipline to stay on the right path. Right? So your, t- your kid comes to you and like, I want an Xbox. And we're like, great, let's go put it on the credit card. How about what we do is we say, you want an Xbox? That's awesome. Let's figure out a path to pay for it. You do this chore every day and you get a dollar and you do this chore every week and you get three dollars. And your whole point is you could do the chore better than them. In fact, every time they do the chore, they mess up the house. You know what I mean? But it's not about the chore getting done. It's about the fact that you're teaching them delayed gratification. Now they've got $40 in their pocket and it's burning and they're like, man, I just got to spend it now. And you could say, you can. You want to buy the ice cream for tonight? You buy ice cream. But you got to remember the Xbox. Oh. Do I want the Xbox three months from now or do I want ice cream tonight? Teach them. Stay on the right path. Number three here, persistence leads to perseverance, the discipline to keep going even though it hurts. It hurts. It hurts. It hurts to save money. It hurts to invest. It, it hurts to look at the Chipotle line and say no to the guacamole. It hurts. It really does. Does, it, does anybody else, am I, wrong? am I alone? It's not easy saying no to yourself. But man, this is what the tortoise knew that the hare never understood. One step at a time. Just keep plugging away. Just keep investing. Don't touch that 401k. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. Don't touch it. And everybody that's faster than you will fall asleep on the sidelines and you will win. You say, man, I wish I had more of this information. I wish I did too. I'm not gonna take 12 weeks to teach it. Three. That's why we're inviting you to be a part of what's called the Financial Peace University. It's a nine-week class that my, 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 our people teach. People that I trust teach this class. It's nine weeks on this. It doesn't take place on a Sunday. It takes place different times. You need to take this class People will often in a sermon series like this say to me, am I too old to learn these principles? The question is really, are you too old to take a class and learn? I can't answer that question. It's not about your age, it's about your willingness to change at the state that you're in. Now the earlier you change and think differently, the better for you. But if you're 50, 60 years old and you wanna learn these principles now, fantastic, do it. You've got another 30, 40 years to go then learn the principles. Take the class. Now, how do you do this practically? You can text. I don't want you to do this later. I don't want you to do this today. I don't want you to do this tomorrow. I want you to do it right now. Text FPU. Go ahead and press the button, guys. 
text FPREU to 702-766-7557. You text that number and you'll be put in the, the FPU, uh, not, the, our churches will get your thing and then they'll call you and say which class you wanna come to. Do you understand? So if you need to take the class, text them and they'll figure out what class works best for you, all right? Now, I'll leave it up there for some of you doing it right now, okay? Very good, all right. How do I practice financial peace? Avoid get-rich-quick schemes, practice delay gratification, number three. Lastly, today, last for the series, plan generational wealth. I, I hinted at this in the first sermon. I had many people ask me more. What, tell us more about what the Bible says about this. Okay, so here's where I'm going to. Plan generational wealth. Some people have never been taught this, and so they didn't know. But remember, what you don't know can hurt you and your grandchildren. Plan generational wealth. Proverbs chapter 13, verse 22 says that a good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. A good person thinks through a plan to leave an inheritance to his children and his grandchildren. But the wealth of the sinner is stored up for the righteous. Oh my word, do you see what the second part of the verse says? There are some people who are saving and investing and giving inheritance to their grandchildren. There are other people who, because they don't follow the principles found in the Bible, their little bit that they have is taken and given away to those who have more. The world calls it, the rich get richer and the poor get poorer. And this is how it happens. You say, I don't, think that's, I don't think that's good. The point of the passage is not to tell you what is good and wrong. It's to tell you what is. Last week we said the only, only uh, uh, antidote to greed is generosity. So don't miss the generosity part. But this is the way the world works. You better get in on it or you'll lose. So you learn these principles, you practice these principles, we said throughout the entire series, and you will gain wealth, so much wealth, you'll pass it to your children, your children's children. You say, what about those people who don't know about those things? That's what I'm doing. Don't you see what's happening around you? Say, what about those people who don't know? I've been telling literally everybody I can these principles, and people like me have been telling it for 3,000 years. Some people don't want to know. And if they did, they're gonna call me some kind of a bigot or some kind of a bad person because I'm telling them, look at an old book and see what the Bible says. I'm not the bad guy because people refuse to hear the truth. But there are a few. Jesus called it the narrow way. There are a few who are gonna learn these things. So we need to learn them. Now, when it comes to generational wealth, I'll say this. The biggest problem that some people have and think about when it comes to generational wealth is they think that generational wealth is for millionaires. It's not. Generational wealth starts small. You think, this is what you think about generational wealth. You think, trust fund kid, hundreds of millions of dollars, an heiress to this or an heir to that. At the beginning of the series, I told you this sermon is not only gonna help you, it helps you shift your future and helps you begin to leave a legacy for generations. This is how that takes place. Don't think in terms of centuries. Think in terms of decades. See, some people financially, they only think in terms of weeks. They literally live week to week 
to week to week. I've given you plans in this series on how not to do that. Some people only think week to week, month to month. Other people think financially centuries down the road. They're like, well, if I were to change, it'd be like 100 years before things change. No, that's not true. It will be decades, but decades will change you. Within 10 years, I'm telling you, you follow these principles, your whole life will be different. In 20 years, your whole legacy of your family will be different. Decades, decades, decades. This is what we're talking about. My father was the son of a Middle Eastern immigrant. My grandfather didn't come to these shores until he was in his 40s. And so he didn't have all the wealth that other people of his age in the United States did, but he had opportunity like he had never had back home in the Middle East. So he worked every job he possibly could, and he built all the wealth that he possibly could, but in reality, all that he could give, gather by the time he was done was 24 silver coins. Oh, he was doing far better than anybody back in the home country. Isn't that an amazing gift about America? Amen? He could leave 24 silver coins as a Middle Eastern immigrant to his son, my dad. 24 silver coins. So what did my father do with 24 silver coins? He took those 24 silver coins and went to a casino and, no. He took the 24 silver coins, very small inheritance. He had just bought a very modest home in North Las Vegas uh, with a mortgage they could afford, over 30 years to pay for it. And they built a little, um, uh, he took the money and built a little white picket fence. He increased the value of that which was already his. He invested in himself and in his future, you see? My mother on their side, no, in, no large inheritance, but there was a five acre, tiny five acre parcel of land literally in the middle of the woods in Pennsylvania. No road to it, no well, no electricity. Like nobody would want this piece of land. That's their only inheritance. Over the decades, my parents have slowly built a road out there, built a little cabin, invested in themselves, invested in their future. This was that, this is generational wealth. Followed these other principles, all the four words of wealth building, generosity instead of greed, and now second generation is turning into third generation, you see? And they will pass down to us more than they had. And if we follow these biblical principles, we will pass down to our children more than we had. And then if they follow the biblical principles, they'll pass down to their children far more than anybody had before. And then they will be pointed at and the world will say, how do you get so lucky? It's unfair. And a hundred years of following biblical principles led to that conversation. A hundred years. A hundred years, you see? Leave a legacy. A man in our church Again, it's not millions of dollars, but imagine this. A man in our church just recently, after he's in his 70s now, after years of working hard doing these principles, he just was able to buy a house. He has three children. Buy a house, pay it off completely for all three of his children. Isn't that amazing? Now, that's a big deal. Imagine what, imagine what you would do if you had a house completely paid for, no mortgage, no rent. What would you do with that money? Now, now. The answer to that question tells you whether or not you'll ever have generational wealth. Man, if I had no rent, I'll tell you what I'd do with it. Man, if I had that wealth, 
then I could tell you what I would do with it. You have to think differently than the rest of this world because the end of a thing is far better than the beginning. And the patient in spirit, Ecclesiastes chapter number seven, the end of a thing is better than the beginning and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. Friend, hear me before we close. Hear me. What you don't know can hurt you. And what I shared with you today, people don't realize that they are suffering because they've never learned these principles or heard them. Maybe their parents or grandparents rejected the Bible and now it pays out. Do you remember how I began? I said, look, just because you don't know the law doesn't mean you're not liable to following the law. You're responsible to follow the law. And just because you may not know about a good God in heaven who loves you a good God in heaven who cares about you. You may also not know that the sin that rests in your soul demands a punishment in hell. You say, but I didn't know that, but now you do. Nobody's gonna stand before God one day and say, well, God, I didn't know about all your laws. Here's the reality. You're still liable for breaking the laws of God. You say, well, what am I going to do? Fantastic news. There was a very, very spiritually rich man named Jesus Christ who died to pay for all of your sins. And all you have to do to inherit his gift of eternal life is to repent of your sin and receive Jesus Christ as your Savior. And he'll say, I welcome you into the family. You want to talk about generational wealth? That's the type of generational wealth that is available to every single person. But what you must do to receive it is repent and receive Christ today. All that other stuff I talked about, that's important. That's advanced disciple stuff. If you've never become a disciple of Jesus, today the first step is to repent of your sin and receive Jesus today. And if you do, he'll save your soul. Let's close in prayer. Father, thank you for the truth. I pray that you'd bless us now as we leave this place to obey it, to love it, and to follow it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.